Yeah, so important and something that, you know, it's interesting because after I entered the my apprenticeship with Ramana, um, and every year, every time I would go and visit my family, I would go and, and see Yvonne um, Shoto, my, my first ballet teacher. And so funny because when I told her what I was doing, she was like, oh, Ramana. She knew Ramana. Well, Ramana and Yvonne had been, had both studied with Joe and, um, and were roommates um, in New York. And of course, when I shared this with with Ramana, um, I think that that's one of the things that you know um, tightened our relationship was this this history that we both had to a very good friend of hers, being Yvonne, but also their connection to Joe. And so, when I look back at those classes I took with Yvonne, even though she didn't really talk about Joe, right? I can see how she was inspired by that work. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us on the Ballet and Beyond podcast. I'm your host, Pete Commander. Our guest today is Gautra College dance professor Elizabeth Ahern. For Elizabeth's full bio or more information about the Ballet and Beyond podcast, follow the links in the description. This episode is brought to you by Charm City Ballet, For more information on classes and upcoming performances, visit www.charmcityballet.com. All right, Elizabeth, thank you so much for being on with us and chatting with us today. Thank you. Uh, Let's get started with your early training. Tell us your path into ballet and how you navigated into the dance world. Yeah. Um, So I'm from Oklahoma. Uh, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Um, and um, my mother, who was not a dancer, was uh, a very supportive of the arts and took me to the symphony and to the ballet. And it was really the performance going to the ballet that made me um, want to dance. Um, I, I don't remember it, but my mom says I pointed to the stage and I said, that's that's what I want to do. Can I, I I want to dance? And she was like, you're too young. Wait till your next birthday. And at my next birthday, I said, okay, (laughs) where's the classes? And she took me down the street to um, a little dance studio called Betty Stockard School of Dance. And I wouldn't walk in the door. I wouldn't go in because I wanted to only see the people I had seen on stage and that Betty Stockard was not one of those people. And um, so she drove me 45 minutes to the fairgrounds, uh, Oklahoma City Fairgrounds, which is where Yvonne Shoto had her dance studio. And I started training with Yvonne. My mom had no idea the difference between Betty Stockard and Yvonne Shoto, but there was a huge one. <laughs> um, Yvonne had um, uh, danced with the Ballet Russe um, and was from Oklahoma, is one of what we call one of the five Indian uh, ballerinas, um, or what in Oklahoma we call the five moons. So she was one of the five moons um, and um, really took me under her under her wing. Um, and I, my mom would drop me off and I would sit in her office and talk to her about her costumes and look at her dance programs. And um, her dance studio had um, pictures all around the studio of all these ballet russe dancers. And she would tell us stories about Danilova and Freddie Franklin and Nina Popova and George Skabeen. And um, of course the other Indian ballerinas, the tall chiefs, um, Maslin Larkin, Rosella Hightower, Irina Baranova. So she would tell us these stories of all of these people, um, which made them come to life for me. I think it's one of the reasons I love dance history is because of all of those pictures and the stories she told me. So that's where I started my early training. And um, and then specifically after that, I think um, I was there for quite some time studying with her. And uh, when uh, Conrad Ludlow and Joy Feldman um, took over the Metropolitan Ballet Company, which was in Oklahoma City. She 
suggested that it was time for me to go train with someone else that, which I really appreciated. I think a lot of teachers don't do that, but she said she had really done what she thought she could do and I needed to move onward. So I did. I went to Conrad and Joy. I still went and took classes with her. I still would take sometimes two a day. Um, but um, but Conrad and Joy um, became kind of my primary teachers. Um, I stayed with them for several years until Bo Spazoff and Stephanie Wolf um, took over the company and the training. Um, and then um, after they departed, we had uh, Eddie Villala, Edward Villala, before he went to Miami City Ballet. So a wonderful lineage of artists, directors, um, teachers um, that were there. And again, really appreciate that um, that she did not hold on to her students, that she really pushed them onward, um, uh, knowing what her limitations were, and that she also uh, felt like breadth of, um, of training was really important if this was something one was serious about. Um, so yeah, so those that that's my early training all in Oklahoma. I would also say on top of that, I was really fortunate um, I had grandparents that lived in Dallas, so I would go uh, every summer to Dallas and would train with the Dallas Ballet, um, George Scabine, Nina Popova. There was a lot of, again, Ballet Russe uh, dancers that had moved to Texas um, upon their retirement. So um, I had the opportunity to train with many of those um, teachers at the Dallas Ballet at that particular time. Also, Natalia Krasovska had her own studio in Dallas um, out of her garage. So I would get, I would take classes with her as well. And she, you would just go in through her back door of her garage and she would come out with her little puppy dog and, and uh, always with her puppy um, and teach classes. Um, so she was pretty remarkable also and learning repertory from her and taking classes from her. So that close proximity to Texas and of course having family there, which made it more cost effective for my family to have a place to stay, um, uh, augmented my training as well. Um, and I'd say last, they had a Oklahoma Summer Arts Institute which chose a very small kind of elite group of students in different artistic disciplines, whether it was orchestra, mime, modern dance, ballet. And every summer they would bring teachers um, to work for an intensive period of time with a group of dancers who were auditioned. And I did that for, for years also. And, and that's how I actually got to work with Rosella Hightower and, um, more deeply with Maslin Larkin, Irina Baranova, um, some of these, again, um, wonderful ballet russe dancers, um, many of them who had a relationship to Oklahoma uh, specifically, as well as others. Georgina Parkinson was a huge impact, um, who had danced with American Ballet Theater and her um, her husband, who was a photographer. Um, I got to know them really well. Dan Levins, um, who became a huge mentor for me. Um, I had met him when I was dancing with Ballet Oklahoma. Um, and then he did um, an intensive at the Oklahoma Summer Arts Institute, as well as um, Richard Thomas. So I'd say Richard Thomas and Dan Levins were two people that I kept in contact all the way until both of them passed away um, after my time studying with them um, and when I moved to New York because they, they were both in New York City. So, yeah. mm -hmm. um, So you moved to New York. Uh, I, I believe from your uh, bio, you moved to New York for school for, uh, for uh, was that for undergraduate? That was for undergraduate, yeah. I moved, um, I, uh, I didn't go immediately. Well, I did go to college, but I, I was not going uh, a full load at the University of Oklahoma. So I was taking college courses. Um, it, I always knew I wanted to go to college. Um, 
Yvonne and, and her husband, Miguel Tarakoff, had both founded the University of Oklahoma Dance Department, which is one of the first dance departments in accredited dance programs in the United States, a rather significant oh, wow. program. Mm. And uh, so I certainly was influenced knowing their relationship to dance and higher education and the importance of dance and higher education. So I, I think I always knew I wanted to pursue um, at least an undergraduate degree. Um, and Yvonne certainly encouraged me to do that. Um, so I, I danced with Ballet Oklahoma and, um, and also took classes at University of Oklahoma. And then after, I think I did that for um, close to two years, then I um, decided to go to SUNY Purchase um, full time. Um, so I went to SUNY Purchase and studied with um, Betty Jane Sills, um, Larry Clark, um, Rosanna Saravalli. Um, um, the um, Sarah Stackhouse, um, June Finch, Gus Solomons Jr. It was a fabulous faculty. Many of them are still actually um, teaching there today. Um, they at that time particularly had told me when I applied that they were going to have a graduate program and that um, it would be seamless for me to go from undergrad into graduate school, which it was something I I was looking at. That did not happen. They did not get that graduate program agree um, um, confirmed um, until much later. So two years, I guess two years after I uh, matriculated, I decided to transfer to NYU. Um, and um, where I, I really had auditioned at NYU as well as at Purchase and had gotten accepted there, but had decided that the transition from New York to straight into New York City might be a little much. Um, in hindsight, I don't think it would have been, but I at that mm. time, I felt like I was moving there totally by my own, you know, on my own without knowing anyone that maybe being a little outside of the city might be a good transition. So, um, so I called Larry um, Rhodes up and said, you know, I know I auditioned two years ago. I think that was a mistake. <laughs> Would you, can I re-audition? And he was wonderful and uh, did a kind of a private audition. I came in and did a solo for him, which Dan Levins actually helped me, um, helped me on um, and um, auditioned and transferred seamlessly to NYU. And they did have a graduate program. So I was able then to go straight from their undergrad into their graduate school. Yeah. Excellent. And, and what, what was your time at NYU like um, in, terms of, in terms of the program and the difference? How do I ask this? The, <clears throat> the difference between what you were doing in Oklahoma and what you be started doing at NYU. Right, right. Um, I would say actually both at Purchase and at NYU. I mean, I'd never taken, other than in high school, I'd taken some like modern dance in high school, um, but very little. I had really just focused on ballet and and that, that was it. Um, so um, the fact that I was taking Humphrey, Lamone classes, Cunningham, Graham classes, which was required at both Purchase and NYU, totally opened my eyes. I think the other thing is I it opened my eyes to repertory that I was not familiar with, um, you know, dancing in um, more contemporary or, or um, not classical works. I mean, uh, uh, Najinska's Les Nos. Um, uh, of course, you had Balanchine, you know, Balanchine works that were in the repertory at purchase, like Serenade, et cetera. Um, but just some other contemporary um, ballets that I had, you know, I'd heard of the artist, but not not engaged with their with their work. Um, and then the you know, dancing in a work by Mel Wong or in Mar by a work by Mark Morris or Arnie Zane and Bill T. Jones. Like these were just artists that I was really, to be honest, not real familiar with. Um, so it really expanded my horizons, expanded my horizons also with um, that was my first I purchased my first experience with Pilates. Um, Romana was teaching there along with uh, Steve Giordano. And um, so that was my first experience with Pilates. Um, so that was impactful. Um, 
And then just history, like taking classes in dance history, which is a, a huge love of mine. Um, you know, taking a class with Sally Baines um, or um, who, you know, specializes in postmodern dance or David Vaughn, a class on Cunningham dance history um, at um, NYU. It was um, Deborah Jowett and Camille Hardy. And Camille was a huge mentor as well as um, Deborah um, all the way through again until Camille's um, recent um, death. Um, she actually was one of the, re one of the ways I got to Goucher, how I got to Baltimore. It was through her recommendations. So she, she was a huge mentor and, uh, Deborah Jowett was my, um, my, my capstone, if you want to call it my senior thesis advisor, um, which, um, that thesis was on balance sheet in a lost ballet. So she was quite significant in that research as well. So yeah, expanded my, my horizons beyond the history I had garnered from my, my technique teachers, my ballet teachers, you know, which were specifically all around the ballet ruse, to be honest, which is a huge love of mine because of that. But it really just opened the the windows to what happened before the ballet ruse and and what happened after the ballet ruse, you know. Um, so, yeah. Right. Yeah. Very impactful. And then so once you were graduated uh, and you graduated, so you went you did go directly into a graduate program at NYU. I did. Mm hmm. So once you graduated from there, um, tell us sort of where that led you afterwards and then how that got you to Goucher. Mm -hmm. So um, that, you know, that last some last year, you're in graduate school, you're applying for jobs, you know. Um, and so I was applying to numerous um, universities and colleges across the country Um I applied to Goucher College um, and I didn't know anything about Goucher. Um, the, my dance history teacher, Camille Hardy, um, was um, a dance historian and knew um, Christelle Bond, who was the chair of the dance program at the time. They were very good friends. And so when I asked Camille, I said, well, what do you think about this school? Do you think, I don't know anything about it. It's in Baltimore, which seems appealing to me because I did want a more urban area. I wanted to be close, you know, easy access to art and um, the close proximity to Philadelphia and to DC and, and easy access to New York was really appealing to me. Um, she was like, oh my gosh, Christelle, you'll love it. You'll love working there. And so I applied um, really only because of Camille. Um, and it was for a one year replacement position uh, for a faculty member um, uh, who was Juliet Forrest. Um, so it was a, a one year replacement position. And um, so I got an interview. And interestingly enough, it was to teach modern dance. Um, at which I'm not known for at all. Like how I teach ballet, but um but I had been training for a long time, taking modern dance, and I had been um, dance a lot of contemporary repertory. So, um, yes, I was teaching ballet, but specifically, they really needed someone that could teach modern dance for for the the person who was going to be on on um, a sabbatical leave. So, um, so I took the job and got to know the faculty. Um, Jane Wood Ward Murray was there. Kathy Ferguson was there. Um, Juliet Forrest was there. Um, Christelle was Amanda. Amanda wasn't Amanda Woodson wasn't there yet. Um, at that time. I don't, I don't think not at that particular time she was hired must've been after I left. So it was a one-year replacement. So I was already by January of my, my year there was already applying to other jobs. Cause you, you knew it was, there was an end to it. <laughs> um, and then right. got a job at the university of Washington in Seattle um, on the graduate faculty there, um, teaching, which is, has, it's a very different, uh, program. The graduate, uh, students there are all, you have to have danced professionally. It's a prerequisite for the program. I was really intrigued by that. Um, and, um, the fact that I would be able to engage with graduate students and undergraduate students. So I stayed there for two years and then, um, kind of discovered Seattle was not the place I wanted to plant my roots um, long-term. Um, 
specifically. And at that point I was married. My husband was living on the East coast and I was living on the West coast and we were commuting by coastally. So that was getting really old. And, um, so when the job opened at, at Goucher, I knew of Goucher. I knew the faculty. I knew I would be happy there. Um, I certainly applied other places, but when I got the interview, um, and that was replacing Jane Ward Murray's uh, position. So, um, so I moved back to Baltimore where my husband had stayed for two years. So it was really convenient because he had stayed on the East coast in Maryland and I had been living in Seattle. So, so it was a win-win in a lot of different ways. I, I knew it would be a, a wonderful program with, uh, a, I thought a, a really fabulous balance between ballet and modern dance. Um, I really respected the faculty. I certainly respected Christelle and her vision for the program. Um, so I, I, I was pretty assured I was, it was fortunate because I'd been there for a year. So I knew I, I would be content in, in, in this new job. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and from your bio, you have a long list of professional credits, mm -hmm. um, performance credits. Well, where did that come in and, and how did you balance all of those things, uh, you know, during that process? Right. Um, so, um, I started dancing when I was in high school, um, for, um, uh, um, the Metropolitan Ballet Company. So, um, and again, fortunate that Conrad and Joy were bringing in some really fabulous artists and, um, or, and he was, a, I thought Conrad was a, a, a wonderful choreographer. So I was able to dance in his choreography as well as restagings of, um, you know, his, his lineage is New York City Ballet and um, and also Ballet West. So Lou Christensen, dancing and work by Lou Christensen. Um, that's where I met um, Dan Levins but, um, as well um, when he was hired to, to create a work. Um, obviously, the, the regular Nutcracker, Swan Lakes, you know, uh, the, the, the normal repertory that just sustains a ballet company, I think. Um, and then when Bo... Spazoff and Stephanie Wolf took over again, continued with the company as a dancer um, and um, had a wonderful opportunity to, to continue to dance in repertory that they housed um, and they garnered um, with their connections with American Ballet Theater. And then with um, when Eddie Villola took over, he really popped it up. And um, we, you know, he brought, I remember Agnes DeMille. Um, to, um, to do Rodeo, and he brought Paul Sutherland and Christine Sari in to coach the, the lead roles, um, who are what I consider to be one of the best ropers and the best cowgirls. Um, uh, if you kind of look at videos, et cetera, they are kind of the ones to beat. Um, so being coached by by these wonderful artists that had danced the roles and had learned them from um, DeMille. And then he brought Agnes DeMille in herself and she gave us feedback. I mean, it was just a wonderful, rich time. Um, and then the repertory that obviously Valella brought with his lineage to, um, uh, you know, to New York City Ballet as well. So, um, and then I can, you know, continued the repertory at Purchase um, at, um, at NYU. And then when I moved to um, to Maryland, um, I, I joined uh, Kinetics Dance Company and continued dancing, no ballets anymore, uh, contemporary works, um, and with um, choreography by colleagues uh, at different regional um, colleges, as well as artists that were brought in to stage work for us. Um, so yeah, I've been I'm just really fortunate and able to coordinate my my education, my high school education, my college education, and then working full time as a professor and continuing to dance. Um, that's not saying it's easy. They're really long hours, seven days a week jobs. Um, but I think if you love doing what you do, you don't mind you don't mind it. You know. Mm, mm. Um, uh, about the, about Goucher, I'm going to switch gears back to Goucher a little bit. Um, how has the, how has the program changed since you started? And you mentioned, you mentioned some aspects of the program that attracted you to it. Um, 
and obviously, you know, Christelle is no longer with us. Um, and, and, but it seemed to me, uh, also being a, uh, a Goucher graduate, um, that her vision for the program really came to fruition, um, at least in, in my time there. Um, how has the program changed, uh, in, you know, since you've, since you've been there and, and what do you see it growing into in the future? Um, I would say, I think when I, when I, when I joined the second time as a full-time, you know, faculty member, um, I think it was known more for ballet. Um, They had some fabulous contemporary and modern teachers, but I think it was known for ballet. I think partially because many of the liberal arts colleges uh, didn't have ballet programs. So it's kind of like if you have a solid ballet program, it's kind of stands out. Whereas a lot of the liberal arts colleges had modern dance. So I think that's one reason, but I think you also had, you know, Jane Murray and Laura, um, um, we had Laura, Kathy and Jane, I guess were kind of the three ballet teachers. They were um, adjuncts, part-time faculty members. Um, And I think they had really strengthened and buttressed the the ballet curriculum. uh, specifically, and and interestingly enough, not even as full time faculty members. I mean, <laughs> they were, but they, mm. they had passion for the work that they were doing. They were bringing in fabulous guest artists, and the repertory that the dancers were performing was really no, notable and noteworthy. Um, so, I I think that has certainly changed. I think um, I think we're we're still known for having a strong ballet program, certainly. Um, but we now, you know, require our students rather than just doing uh, ballet and modern dance, they're required to do ballet, modern, and West African. That's a requirement. Um, equal, uh, equal footing. Um, certainly, students can uh, continue to um, pursue that kind of breath through their four years, or they can focus in more specifically on one uh, genre should they choose to do so. But that's quite different um, than it was when Christelle was there. Um, I would say also there were tracks of study, there were concentrations, like there was a a concentration in dance therapy and a concentration in um, dance history. Um, That's changed to where now students can still focus, but there's um, uh, elective requirements that the students can choose from. So if they're interested in dance therapy, they can take a dance therapy course. If they're interested in dance history, we have two dance history courses they can take. If they're interested in K through 12 education, they can take a pedagogy class and a K through 12 education class. So, um, but they're not tracks of study. The students choose the curriculum that they feel like is going to serve their long-term goals um, and they're advised by an advisor. So I'd say to some extent, there's some more choice for the uh, for for the uh, students, um, but there's great deal of similarity, I think, to the that original program and those concentrations that that um, Christelle helped to institute. You know, when she was at the helm, um, and and performances still um, wonderful guest artists that that's still um, uh, notable. I think we have four to five guest artists each year. I think that's mm. something that still um, is unusual, even for a, a conservatory or even a BFA program to bring that many guest artists in a year. I think that's notable. Um, so that has continued, but um, maybe the the more traditional artists that were brought in during uh, Christelle's uh, time has, has changed where maybe we have some more cutting edge or, um, some features of greater range of voices, I think, generally, um, which I think in this day and age, um, we would be remiss if we didn't go in that direction, right? Um, to prepare right. students to be able to um, really um, be marketable in the dance field today, um, specifically. So, yeah, those are some of the some of the changes I would say. Um, I'd say, um, you know. Um, we have courses like uh, the politics of performance. Um, we're looking, our curriculum has changed to look at 
making sure more voices are heard. Um, I think um, as yeah, if Christelle were alive today, I think she probably would be um, spearheading a, much of these efforts. Um, I think uh, there were voices, you know, 20 years ago that we didn't hear, uh, uh, noteworthy artists that we didn't know of, that I think we've really tried to make sure that those voices are heard in our curriculum. Um, so I think that has changed significantly. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Hmm. All right. Shifting gears one more time. Uh, let's talk about Pilates. Uh, you Ooh. said, I, I believe you were at, was it purchase or NYU when you started purchase, purchase mm -hmm. when you started uh, Pilates, what drew you to that? What got you interested in it? And what do you do in it now? Like what is your, what is your work with Pilates currently? Right. Um, so yes, I, um, my real kind of official, um, I guess, engagement with Pilates was at Purchase with Romana Krasinowska, who is considered one of the elders, um, elder teachers. Um, she um, she really impacted me in the sense that um, I'd really not really thought about the impact of cross-training um, one's body. Um, and... Um, I'd never been injured um, at that point. I'd never been injured. Um, but um, I think I saw so many of my peers coming in injured or getting injured. And so uh, this was really notable for me. And um, and I felt like, well, I don't want to be in those shoes. I don't want to be. <laughs> so what can I do to make sure that I'm, you know, preventing injury? Um, so um I went to University of Washington, um, and it was really at that time that I saw the first ad. There was an ad in Dance Magazine about getting certified to teach Pilates, and um, and it was Romana. And um, so I, I recognized the name, and um, I spoke to the chair at the time at University of Washington. They didn't feel like they could really support um, that kind of training. When I moved back to Goucher, I talked to Christelle and she was like, of course. Now you have to remember Christelle, um, taught anatomy, um, at Goucher. So she was very interested in, you know, the, um, making sure that our dancers were healthy. Um, and I think she saw that this is something, a kind of a new perspective that could be brought, um, to the college. So, they supported me with my schedule to go to New York every weekend. I would leave on a Thursday night and I would go up and I would train on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, come back on Sunday night, teach my Monday through Thursday. And I did that for over a year, did my apprenticeship with Romana um, and really found that um, uh, digging into the work that deeply that I really understood not only, you know, the benefits to me, um, but the benefits to just the human body, um, you know, core support, pelvic alignment, increase, increased range of motion, um, balance, um, injury recovery, as well as prevention, that it was something that, you know, people could engage with for their recovery. And then even as you dig even more deeply into the work, this mind-body connection that I found really um, interesting, something that I think um, dancers certainly are familiar with. Um, and I think it's one of the things that draws dancers to Pilates. So all these benefits that I felt like could really come to our student body. So um, I started teaching out of my house and um, had a huge response because there was no one teaching Pilates in Maryland. No one even knew what Pilates was. I mean, it was no one even knew what they called it pilots. I mean, no one knew what it was. So um, uh, I, I, there was an, um, I guess an article in the Baltimore Sun that they did on me. And I got a lot of people calling me after that. And I finally just came, went to the Dean and I said, you know, I don't think I can do this on my own and do my full-time job at Goucher, but I really want to be at Goucher. Um, is there any way of bringing this to the college? And so 
I drew up a business plan, uh, brought it to the dean, um, and we opened the Pilates Center. Um, it was that was around 1997 or so, I guess, um, maybe a little before that. Um, and we opened the Pilates Center, and then I think the year after I had my uh, the year I, the year I was pregnant with my daughter, um, I we hired our first Pilates instructor um, because I couldn't I couldn't be go on maternity leave and, and, uh, leave my, leave the classes and the clients, you know, um, uh, without a, a teacher. So, and it, and it's grown since then. Um, and it serves, um, the entire campus, which it's designed to do. So students can take, uh, Pilates classes, faculty and staff can take Pilates classes. It serves the, the community at large. Um, and then it also serves our, are dancers. So they can take academic classes in apparatus work, or they can take academic classes in mat work. And then many of them um, that are interested in con continuing with their certification, they can now um, achieve their certification through Goucher as well, which was not the case initially. And over time that that was achieved, which was a long-term goal. So it's a wonderful job opportunity for our dancers to be able to um, you know, find another skill set that should they choose to go out and audition, get jobs, um, you know, as a performer or a teacher to be able to supplement their income um, uh, in, a, in a very positive way, doing something that they enjoy. Um, so we've had quite a few dancers that have um, pursued their teaching certification and several of them actually teach at Goucher. So... And you talked a little bit about the the benefits that dancers can derive from Pilates. How do you think Pilates has influenced the teaching strategies, philosophies, principles, et cetera, in, in the dance world in general? Um, I mean, I think this, um, this focus on alignment, um, muscular efficiency, um, um, my, I know for me specifically as a teacher, the training I did in Pilates on top of my courses in anatomy and kinesiology really helped me as a teacher uh, focus in on any alignment inconsistencies or technical faults in my students. Um, I think also the principles of Pilates um, are, are principles that I think can definitely be brought into um, the dance studio, concentration control, centering, flow of movement, precision, breathing. These are all things that I think um, we focus on today as teachers. I wouldn't say 20 years ago, I focus as much on, on breathing or um, uh, I'd say breathing is the, is the big one that it was like, it took me time to get there <laughs> to, to bring that, that principle to my own personal teaching, but how breathing right. can really support um, one's work in, you know, in, in a ballet class um, and really distinguishing that specifically when I teach the combination and when I provide feedback to the dancers. So I think those principles um, certainly guide my, my practice, but I think um, guide the practice of many teachers that have, that have trained in Pilates um, specifically. So I think it's been a really positive impact um, to my teaching uh, specifically of, of any dance form, but um, most of my research has been on on ballet and, and Pilates and the benefits, you know, for, for ballet dancers. And I think, and this is just an aside, mm -hmm. my own thoughts uh, real quick on this. Uh, I think it's a good uh, testament to the advantages of, of cross training. And you're speaking about Pilates, but I've drawn a lot of the same concepts from uh, yoga and martial arts and, yeah. and other practices that, and, and I think it's, I think it's uh, a statement to how important it is that dancers of all, even classical ballet dancers go out and cross train, learn different ways of moving your body and, and getting to know your body and, and movement in general. So important. Yeah. So important. And something that, you know, it's interesting because, after I entered the, my apprenticeship with Ramana, um, and every year, every time I would go and visit my family, I would go and, and see Yvonne um, Shoto, my, my first ballet teacher. And so funny because 
when I told her what I was doing, she was like, oh, Ramana. She knew Ramana. Well, Ramana and Yvonne had been, had both studied with Joe and, um, and were roommates um, in New York. And of course, when I shared this with, with Ramana, um, I think that that's one of the things that, you know, um, tightened our relationship was this, this history that we both had to a very good friend of hers being Yvonne, but also their connection to Joe. And so when I look back at those classes I took with Yvonne, even though she didn't really talk about Joe, right, I can see how she was inspired by that work. And I had no idea that she had trained. She actually showed me one of my visits to her. She showed me a little journal that she had that Joe had drawn out and written out all the exercises she needed to do when she was on tour and all in his, I don't know whatever happened. I don't know what happened to it. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, so now I look back wow. and you can say, Oh, she, she was definitely informed by that work that she did, you know, right. with, with Pilates. Right. She never identified it, but it, it was certainly there. Um, and Joe himself, he studied yoga and anatomy, martial arts. I mean, if you know the history of, of uh, Joe himself, he engaged in, in many different forms of somatic, what we would call somatic practices um, and mindful um, physical practice. Um, and what he tried to do is kind of take what he thought the best of all of these practices were and put them into something unique. Um, but certainly martial arts, yoga um, inspired his work as well. Mm, yeah. mm. Let's switch gears one more time and talk about your current work as president of ACDA. Mm -hmm. um, tell us what, uh, what it is, what the organization is, um, what the organization's goals are, um, and uh, kind of your role as president. Yeah. Um, so the American College Dance Association is going to be 50 this year. So um, so it's been around for a little bit. We're very excited. This is our 50-year anniversary. Um, the focus of um, the association is really to bring uh, attention um, and to support and promote um, talent, creativity, uh, that's really evident and prominent in college and university dance departments. Um, and as such, it, it um, sponsors regional conferences. It's done so since its, its implementation. It also um, sponsors a national dance festival every other year. This year, um, 2023, will be a national year for us in California. Um, and at those um, events, at those conferences and festivals, it's a place for students and faculty to engage in performances, in master classes, workshops, panels um, from instructors and experts in the field from all around the country. Um, the conferences also provide an opportunity for students and faculty um, and guest artists to bring their works to be adjudicated by a panel of, of three dance professionals and um, in an educative a platform that's open and constructive. Um, and um, so it's not a, a competition. Uh, it's, it's to provide feedback. Um, and it's really generally those conferences are also a place for dance programs to bring their students to perform outside of an academic setting and to gain ex exposure um, in that way as well. Um, so yeah, it's it's a wonderful organization. Um, during the pandemic, uh, we've had to pivot um, significantly. We've added programming. We now have a screen dance festival. We had our second screen dance festival um, last year during the pandemic, which was really very uh, um, successful. Um, and again, I just want to stress because, um, we, we do support higher education and education, uh, specifically in, in college and university dance. Um, these, these programs are not just a screen dance festival, but surrounded with the festival are workshops and educational programming, um, that support the performances. 
um, helps to, for example, when we pivoted to uh, during the pandemic and people were having to do their creative work online, you know, no one, many of our students across the country had never taken any kind of class in dance for film or in screen dance. So we pulled together experts and had workshops on that for, were from the very basic beginner workshop on how to do this to more advanced workshops that would support programs that did have programming um, already in their curriculum. So um, screen dance, we also have an at-large virtual adjudication where um, just not a screen dance, but a recorded version of a work can get feedback. Um, we also understand there's been many cutbacks in higher education, and um, it's not always fiscally possible for colleges to bring students um, to these conferences. Um, so we wanted to provide a platform that would provide opportunities that were not going to be um, as expensive uh, for programs. So we have an at-large virtual adjudication where they can get feedback on recordings, not dance for films, just straight on recording of their creative work. And again, faculty to help support their review, promotion, and tenure, um, and students to help just support their uh, their specific interests uh, in, in the choreographic and generative process. So, um, so yeah, it's an exciting organization that's turning 50, as I said, this year. Um, uh, we, um, my role specifically is um, leadership um, with the executive director of the association. Um, so to help with the continuing operations, to conduct um, board meetings of our executive committee and our full board, which is approximately 60 people. So it's a large board. We have 13 regions um, with um, representation from all 13 regions. Um, wow. Uh, so it's it's a very large uh, board uh, to to lead, um, but it is a working board of very um, committed individuals um, who I appreciate beyond <laughs> beyond I can anything I can ever say because the work that we do um, because we don't have you know an office of. 15, 20 people. Um, uh, we do a lot and the board uh, does a lot to support our executive director and our um, program manager um, there. Um, so yeah, so um, I'll be in that position three more years and then it will shift to another wonderful individual that we will identify to take on, um, take on that role. Well, how has the, the organization changed since you've been president and what, what goals is the organization looking at into the future? Yeah, I would say um, uh, the, the organization continues to play an active role, you know, in promoting dance in higher education. I think we're trying to make, um, we're really trying to instigate and advocate for changes in the field. Um, if that comes to um, greater diversity um, in um, the, the dance forms that are represented at our conferences in facilitating programming such as the screen dance um, initiatives um, that we've done to stay with to stick with the times and again instigate and advocate for new ways of presenting one's work. Um, I think we also recently adopted uh, core values. Um, at our June uh, board meeting, we spent all last year um, really trying to identify core values that we hope are going to really guide our work um, in the future. Um, and those core values are specific around service, around education, um, around um, and making sure that that education is um, reflective and it's evolving um, uh, it's um, our other core values around inclusion, making sure that we advocate um, a, a community of respect and multiple voices um, and practices and, and dance forms um, and equity. And, um, and I think that's um, um, all, all of these core values, uh, service, education, inclusion, respect, um, equity are really um, going to really guide um, all that we do in the future. The, these are um, what we call, what I call living core values. They'll continue to be 
revisited. Um, but um, since we just adopted these in June, these are the values that are going to really guide guide the work that we do in the future. Got it. Got yeah. it. Um, well, tell us about what you have coming up, upcoming conferences, uh, ACDA conference. Tell us about the uh, the national conference. Yeah. So we have, um, if you go to acda.dance, um, you can see um, conferences that we have across the country. We have actually 11 conferences this year. Uh, people can register as non-members. You can also join as an individual member if you're not um, associated with a college or university. Um, and then we'll culminate um, our year in May, May, May 25th through the 28th um, at Cal State Long Beach. Um, and the Carpenter Center um, for our 50th anniversary. And the 50th anniversary is going to not only have works that will be presented from all of the conferences this year, um, there, are, there are galas at each conference and then the adjudicators choose representatives from each region to um, come to uh, Cal State Long Beach to be performed. Um, so we'll have those performances. Um, and the thing I love about these performances is it's in one place, you're seeing dancers from all over the country. Um, and um, it's interesting to see the similarities, the things that are happening kind of across, you know, the United States, but then what is really happening uniquely in particular regions. So to see that all on one stage is, is really really cool and um, inspiring um, specifically. So, so we'll have uh, Cal State Long Beach in May, and then we'll be entering into our 51st year and, um, and uh, the search for uh, a new executive director. So our executive director who's been with us for a long time, will be retiring after our, our 50th. And um, so this is where we're putting a lot of our energy, again, rooted in our core values to hire um, an executive director, a leader for um, for the organization to take us into the next 50. Yeah. So it's an exciting time. Fantastic. That's exciting. Yeah. Very yeah. exciting. So yeah. that is acda.dance uh -huh. is ACDA. that website. And we'll have that uh, website in the description uh, under the video. Uh, and I think that's all I had. And if you didn't have anything else you wanted to add... No, it was fabulous to see you. <laughs> it was great to see you too. Thanks so much for doing this for us. Of course, and thank thank you. Uh, it's it is uh, you know all I can say is that it has been a it has been a journey and the, um and it's a journey I am so excited to continue and to see in all the work I'm doing as a college professor and the work with ACDA to see. This net, these the next generation coming forward and what they're going to be bringing to the table. It's just an exciting time, right? It's an exciting time. Very exciting time. Yeah. Very so exciting time. Thank you for time. letting me share. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks again for joining us on the Ballet and Beyond podcast. Today's episode was brought to you by Charm City Ballet. For more information on classes and upcoming performances, visit www.charmcityballet.com. New episodes are released weekly, so be sure to check back for more. For guest requests, email ballet and beyond podcast at gmail.com.